and welcome to another episode of the Panty Personals. Now, you all of course know that I am the Queen of Ireland, but my Panty Personals guest today just may be the court jester, because it's none other than circus master, carnival showman, cabaret shapeshifter, and rock peacock, Jerry Fish. Now, for those of you of a certain age, Jerry is synonymous with the 90s band he fronted, An Emotional Fish, while for those of you whose chickens are still in the springtime of their lives and are devotees of Electric Picnic, God, remember festivals, you'll know Jerry as such a crowd pleaser that they gave him his own stage at the Electric Picnic, the Jerry Fish Electric Sideshow, and fingers crossed we will get to see that possibly later this uh, summer. Anyway, and benefiting such a cool cat, Jerry has already lived a good half dozen lives or so. Uh, he was born here in Dublin, raised in London South End in a migrant melting pot of cultures, spent a few years wandering the Mediterranean in search of himself as a self-proclaimed beach bum, though these days the wanderer has settled down living the country life with his lovely wife Nikki, their four children and one spectacular moustache. Oh. Jerry Fish, welcome. Thank you very much. <laughs> Lovely to have you here. Great to I, be here. I feel here. like um, it's, it's weird we didn't have you in here before this. And I, I, you I've and your been mustache. just waiting, waiting. <laughs> um, so, obviously, we have something in common, Jerry. That being that we've both sort of developed a sort of a, an alter ego or a stage persona mm. and sort of built an alternate universe around and everything. So, like, how did... You go from, I mean, I'm assuming on your passport, it says Jerry Whelan. Jared Whelan, yeah. Jared Whelan, with a G. Yeah. It always feels very official. It feels like I'm about to be arrested when I say <laughs> yeah, Jared Whelan. Yeah. Your mother, I assume, still calls you Jared, does she? Jared, yeah. yeah. Anybody, any, anyone very close to me would call me Jared. Yeah. So where did Jared and, and Jerry with a J fish begin? When did that sort of happen? Well, with an emotional fish, I was, they, they called me Jer Whelan. I grew up with it in South London with uh, Gerard. It's a very common name in Ireland, but it, in South London, it was Gerard. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, it was yeah, like yeah, yeah. I was a jockey or something. So it was never, it was a never comfortable name to grow up with. Um, but really the Jerry Fish came. And I guess after an emotional fish, I dropped out of music for about mm. seven years. I kind of really had, had enough of the industry and was quite tired after touring the world yeah. for five years or more. The Pogues, uh, Joey Cashman always called me Jerry Fish. So Jerry Fish was always there uh, because of the band. So I I just came back as Jerry Fish. So I had another fight telling journalists, it's a J, it's a J. <laughs> and uh, I think, you know, jellyfish, basically, oh, you know, right. yeah, trying yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. get something people could remember. And then I, I formed the band called the Mudbug Club. The moustache, I guess, came from the circus, love of yeah. circus. So. Well, you're also ahead of your time here because the, the, you know, the, the circus moustache is quite... Uh, it's very now. Thing, it's yeah. very now. Julia. Julia. You are the summer sun But now you're, you're heaven's but what do you think? But where did the fish part come from? Well, an, an emotional fish. I was constantly asked the question, where did I get that mm. name from? And I, it is a great 
nickname. Well, it's the 13th worst name voted by the BBC. It's like <laughs> up there with like the tragic name Kajagugu and stuff like that. No way. Yeah. Uh, no way. The, the BBC got that very bad. But it's wrong. quite, it's I guess name. there was comedy in it for me, but like I do interviews in Holland or Germany or, or Scandinavia and they would see the intellectual kind of an emotional fish and, uh, <laughs> you know, the philosophical side of it. But I mean, it could have came from Francis Ford Coppola's Rumblefish. Oh, right. It maybe came from that. But I, but I also get... it does make sense in this thing. We say, oh, he's a cold fish. So then he'd be an emotional fish. Yeah, and fish, fish became, uh, yeah, an emotional fish. I just really kind of always irked me that they, you know, when they talk about a goldfish not having a memory and... Which isn't true. Or an emo- yeah, you know, I mean, now, I mean, yeah, there you go, ahead of my time, they've done that octopus, my friend, the octopus. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. I'm realising human intelligence cannot be transferred to the animal yeah. worlds. We were connected, you know what I mean? And I guess it was a play on that vanity of humanity, you know. You are the Well, let's go back to the beginning. So you were born in Dublin and then your family moved to South London. And so your your primary school years and secondary school years were South London? Um, yes, the, uh, most of the, my education yeah. was in South London. And this would have been in the 70s? 60s. 60s, no, 60s and 70s. 60s I was born in 62. So my, my mother and father would have left in 1960 to London and my mother came home to have her first child in Ireland, yeah. And so they, they would have, you know, arrived with the kind of no blacks, no dogs, no Irish yeah. thing and be like with the people of the Windrush. And, and obviously very different from Dublin at that time. I mean, Dublin is, is fairly multicultural these days, but at that time... Dublin was white and it wasn't just white, it was kind of uh, uh, incestuous. Yeah, I guess you had the Catholic Church, which I guess my family were all from Ringsend. My family maybe would have escaped mm-hmm. a lot of that. It wasn't like rural Ireland, yeah. how, how, how they suffered even more. But um, my father, I think, left when he was even younger, a teenager, he was sent to Birmingham. So it was always just get the boat, you know, yeah. get away from here. And, and then I experienced that in the 80s. So basically I grew up in South London and, and I guess I, as I get older, I, I'm more from that. You know, I would say I was raised by Dickensian gangsters and Irish gambling men. What 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 scraped up a living and washed it down the drain in the South London, you know. And Charlie Chaplin was from South London, William Blake. So I've really embraced where I grew up and the multicultures. You know, I grew up with mostly West Indian kids and uh, my street was a probably a, a ghetto of predominantly Docklands, Dublin people. And it was very tough. But I'm really delighted as an adult, I grew up with that kind yeah. of multicultural Well, you, thing. And you, you say it was tough, but do you look back on those years as like, a, you know, a good childhood or? I, I, you know, they say there's no such thing as a happy childhood, you know, and I kind of can relate to that because your mind doesn't really change. You're, you're, you're always a kid. You know, I grew up in very rough, South London is famously a very rough place. Uh, and I, I guess I was always scared as a kid, a little timid. And I was Irish. I was reminded I was Irish every day. You know, mm. the IRA were bombing London. I think the Irish kind of got a 
racism was everywhere in the 70s. It was kind of on the TV, you know. Mm. So I grew up with a lot of racism. And then when I came back to Ireland, maybe 13, uh, you know, being an Irish kid all my life, taking a black eye for, for this country more times than <laughs> I can count. Uh, I was an English bastard, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I just... Did you arrive back with like a full-on London accent? Not, not particularly, because it's like my mother... And all the kids, you kind of, we'd all go to school. There were two kids born in England in this class of 40 kids when I was a kid in school. And we'd all go home and we'd adopt our native accents at home and we'd yep. have Cockney accents in school. And then we'd go home, we'd have, my ma wouldn't let us talk about anything yep. other than a Dublin accent. Same with the West Indian kids, African kids. Everybody had their own accent at home. So I wouldn't say I had, well, some people think I have an English accent now, mm. but... But, but and it was a big Irish family. You're the eldest of six. I'm the eldest of six. The the rest of my siblings were born in, in London. But I just think it was just I had a culture shock when I landed here, which I probably yeah. still haven't recovered from. You know, it's yeah. like, what is this division? You know, when I was maybe 16, I moved back to the UK and mm. started kind of going to and yeah. fro. So you had the London, the South London experience growing up. You came back here for a couple of years, but you felt like an outsider here because now yeah. you were the London kid. And then at 16, you, you went back to London. Uh, no, Rest, I went or? back to, I actually went back to uh, Glasgow and became a Catholic pastor. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I was very confused and still am about um, why people want to kind of pigeon, you know, that yeah. we're all something. And I just think that's actually not how... We really, we're all completely individual. So I became yep. a kind of anti-nationalist. Is that yeah. no, no, that's wrong as well. But it's like it's, it's just I, I wanted there to be an island somewhere just yep. for me and my kind, yep. if you like. You know, and I mean, no, I, I get that, and I know what you mean. Right, by struggling to words, but in other words, you didn't pin all your identity on one nationality or island. Or anything. Yeah. I just kind of became very aware it was, you kind of grow up and you realise the adults are full of shit, you know what yeah. I mean? And the teachers, I was very conscious as a as a child that I was being taught rubbish. Mm. I mean, if you, when you're educated in, in, in England at that time, Oliver Cromwell was a um, folk hero yeah. who would kind of beheaded a king and set up parliament. So he still is kind of seen that way. And I had no idea he'd even been to Ireland, you know. Yeah. So you come to Ireland, you realise, oh, why are they not? And I just kind yeah. of became very aware, very young. There's a lot of crap. And yeah. still is, you know. Uh, so in, in a way, you're being set up to be the classic outsider here. You know, I kind of hated it as a child, but now I embrace it definitely yes. much as an adult. You're better off uh, finding your own identity in this world because yeah. the, the facts are we're all completely individual. Well, I couldn't agree more obviously. Oh, I knew you would. Uh, but so you then do sort of, which was sort of a classic thing at the time really I guess, you went off travelling and you did the kibbutz thing and you did Greek islands. I and, did. You know, certainly if you're writing this narrative in the book, this would be the chapter where you're off trying to find yourself. I mean, is that how you would I, see it yourself? I'm still trying to find myself. I don't think that journey ever ends. I love sunshine, so yeah. I'd know idea of politics quite ignorant i guess but yeah. but i went off and did kibbutzim and just i remember the first night i slept on a beach and and woke up to the stars and thought oh my god this is all i need is a mm. sleeping bag 
Yeah. And, and, you know, and a canister of water and, and each day. So I really fell in love with that. And I guess I'd, I'd been reading Kerouac and Burroughs yeah. and I was really on that. <laughs> I, I, at the end, really, when I look back, I was a hedonist, really. I was just trying to have the best adventure and the best time I could have, you know? Well, you know, as far as I'm concerned, every young person should be a hedonist for a while. Yeah, it was great to just, yeah. I mean, I loved, I spent a lot of time in the Sinai. I met, you know, stayed with Bedouins and got to know other cultures outside mm. our own, you know, that they, they fell in love with the kind of the Arab culture. And, mm. And you, you did spend a lot of time in Greece, right? Loved Greece as well. Yeah, I kind of I lived on a rock for like a, a, I think six weeks uh, in in Naxos. So this would have been around nineteen eighty to eighty two. Mm. So I was very young, I guess. Yeah. And then you returned to Dublin in what year? I could never keep still, so I was kind of living in Dublin, sometimes in in Glasgow, mm. sometimes in London traveling is doing jobs making enough money just to go somewhere yeah. so i guess i was playing in bands i was you know kind of that weren't really kind of going anywhere but so so one thing that i find interesting is um so you're about six years older than i am i think yes and then um you know i was in dublin being an art student in the mid 80s i remember you landing and <laughs> and you were around at that time too in the yes. 80s and you know dublin in the 80s was um what, what i say is sort of aggressively gray and heterosexual <laughs> like it, mm, it, it, yeah. i mean it it had of course a sort of a punk and rock influence too too but it was it was a hard town at the time um it was mm. quite gray and then there was pockets of what i think of as resistance so yeah. and 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 you were in some of those same pockets where, where the gays were, were, were resisting too, like Bartley Duns and... Bartley and Duns was my, you know, I was, my, I, my, my younger brother is gay and he thought I was gay, you know, so because Quinton Chris is a hero of mine and Andy Warhol and all yeah. my icons were... were um, and, and a lot of my friends, you know, I yeah. I go out with. So if you were a punk, you couldn't get served everywhere. So the yes. gay gay bars were open to kind of everybody. Same when you're traveling, yeah. it was just very open. Well, and I Barclays, guess it's that's the same I remember about it. It was that it was. I think it was like it was a misfit bar. So all the people who were uncomfortable getting served in other places or mightn't even. So there was punks in one corner. There was a few, you know, Do you remember the rockers owner? in another. You... There was the gays in another. Like, it was very... Well, yeah. I mean, I had a lot of gay, gay friends, so I could sit in any corner. Yeah. I wasn't really kind of stuck in any corner and yeah. didn't believe in any corner. So I had a lot of... Like, I remember it was tough because I remember the gay scene, or the, certainly all my friends were, like, very camp. It was, yeah. the, it was the time of Dallas. So yeah. it was a lot of show, a lot of show. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I remember I'd go out with friends and at the end of the night, they'd go, you know, it's time for kind of make up your mind time. Yeah. I'd say, oh, I don't think I can go there, you know, and it's, um, you know, Mr. Pussy became a very good dear friend of mine and always encouraging. So I guess growing up in such a diverse thing, I didn't yeah. see any, yeah. You know, everyone's individual. But that's, I also think that is to do with your sort of outsider quality, that you recognise other outsiders. I mean, that's my theory about you, Jerry. And oh, you can reject uh, it or well, embrace it. <laughs> I'm, I'm more comfortable with people who don't have a specific identity yeah. or a real kind of... Uh, I mean, the Jerry Fisher Electric Sideshow is unity 
through diversity is our creed. And really what it means is whoever you are, come in. No one's going to judge you here. Yeah. You know, it's and I think it's about respecting individuality rather than even groups. Because I also remember the gay scene kind of almost overnight becoming quite militant. And there was yeah. a re definite reason for that. But it was like, oh, my God, what happened to all my shoulder friends with shoulder yes. pads? Everyone's got a moustache and a shaved head and is, is dressing like a biker, you know? Yes. Well, the clone thing, as we call it, you know, the clone look with the, you know, the check shirts and the denims and, and the and shaved I, heads and the moustache. It was like a reappropriation of this ultra masculinity. Yeah, and I get it. You know, I've also traveled in the States and San Francisco. I've, I, I totally get it. It was... And it had to happen. I remember, I remember the George when it was probably a quarter the size yes, of this room, tiny. but it had mirrors. Do you know what I mean? And if there were four of us in there, it'd be like, wow, it's stuffed. Do you well, know, yeah, somebody used to call it, oh, it was like the inside of a hairdresser's brain. Yeah, it was very like much tiny like the inside of a hairdresser. Yeah, like, so, <laughs> and, and, you know, and it was just great crack, you know. So to me, especially during this time, you know, spending time at home, my journey is as, mu as much a spiritual journey as any other journey. So, mm. and I take a lot of solace from uh, indigenous people and their, how yeah. they taught things. And if they had somebody who was like a gorgeous panty, you would be a healer or a medicine person yeah. because if you were blessed with uh, two sides, yes. if you like, and in a way we're finding a way back to that yeah. individual that we're all individual. Mm -hmm. I mean, as nobody noticed, we've all got different fingerprints, you know, we're, mm -hmm. we're completely different and not to judge, I guess, you know. Then I guess in the late 80s, you got together with a gang and you became an emotional fish. Yes. Um, and you had huge success in, in you know, in, in well, with, with celebrated the songs ever to your members. Yeah. But so you had huge success in what was the music industry then? Because it's changed so much in the last Absolutely. few years. Absolutely. Um, but you had the classic ride for, for a while. I did have yeah. the classic ride. How did you know? Does it show? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like um, I remember the band getting together, uh, Ender and Dave, Dave, our guitarist, and Ender Wyatt, the bass player, um, saying to me, look, we're going to put this band together. And I'd been in bands, you know, a lot. I'd, yeah. You know, I played... I'd been in bands for years, you know, kind of, and then going, ah, this is just, you know, yeah. but I couldn't stop traveling. So I kind of made a commitment and kind of focused on this yeah. band. And within two years... You were signed by Warners. You we had signed the, whole... the biggest record yeah. deal in Ireland at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, we had 32 A&R men at one of our gigs. I think there were four punters. So it was a very big thing. Yeah. Huge thing. And... I'd seen Mark Boland and T-Rex as a kid, I remember, and I was a, I was kind of a little stout, kind of freckly. My mother used to cut my hair, so I had a fringe. I wasn't a very attractive little boy, <laughs> but I, I just wanted to be a rock star. It was yeah. really, I thought, that's a good job, you know. And uh, yeah, it happened. It, it mm. happened, you know, all of a sudden it was there and, you know, we signed a massive deal and we toured all over the world. I didn't know anything about the industry. Yes. When, when, you know, a record label, I thought a record label was a piece of paper that was in the middle of the record. I didn't realise there were loads of different ones. Mm. So it was an education all the way. And because it really was, it really happened for you guys. I mean, you had this huge hit with Celebrate. Mm -hmm. um, and then you were like, you were 
you know, opening for you too on the Zoo Tour. You are, you know, single yeah. mind. Celebrate. This part is over. I'm going home. This part is over. I'm going home. And, and like so many people in the music industry that, that, that I've spoken to, maybe later you became quite disillusioned maybe with the, the music industry. But for those few years, were you absolutely living your rock star dream? I, I saw the uh, singer with the cramps take a piss backstage with, in high heels, do you know what I mean? And kind of played with the Ramones as well as Nirvana, Happy Mondays. So it, I was really just enjoying that side of the musical side and to be in a, a rock band at that time is, mm. I mean, you look at history, it's like, I don't think I'd fancy it now. I don't know, it was really, you know, we still had the CBGBs. I met Debbie Harry in the corridor, you know, I think she thought I was going to attack on us. I mean, it's a pop band, you know. So, you know, I had an amazing experience with all the idols I, I had yeah. as a kid. I met David Bowie, met all these amazing people. Mm. The industry sucks. It still yeah. sucks. It's, you know, it's like swimming with sharks and it's not a very pretty thing, you know. Mm. I think when the Motion Fish finished their second album, I remember we went for a drink in Camden. Now, it was the difficult second album, and it was an extremely difficult. We had three producers, Dave Stewart, Alan Mulder, and Clive Langer. So it was a really difficult album for us to do. And we'd finished it. We had a drink in Camden, and I became really, like, almost straitjacket. I became quite irate with my manager, an A&R man, and I was about to kick off. And I thought, I have to calm down. I sat down next to a woman, um, a magic woman with a crystal ball. And she she said to me, what's wrong with you? And I was like, oh, it's that, that fucker. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna kill them, you know? And she said, who are they? And I said, that's my manager and that's the head of the record company. And she very cleverly told me they're incidentals because of your talent, you will always have those people around you. It's changed mm. and it's changed so much for the better in many ways. You can be a solo artist. I mean, I left the whole experience really knowing that artistic control is financial control. If you're running your own game, that's when yeah. you can do what you want, you know. When you're in a machine, you know, they want you to be the next you too. They want you to yeah. be the next something else that happens, you know. Yeah. And these days, you know, it just doesn't happen like that anymore because the industry has no. changed so much. But I mean, even since the Jerry Fish uh, and the Mudbug Club, if, if you wanted to release a single, you had to press 5,000 singles. You know, you had to because you had no chance of charting unless you were up, up around 4,000. Yeah. So, so, you know, your your mom, your aunties, everyone would be in golden discs, you know what I mean? Everybody <laughs> gets mad because you were playing the same game as the majors were. Yeah. Be yourself, mystiques and all. Leave your baggage out in the hall. Say you're sorry, give your wrong. And I managed to play that game very well because I'd been there, 
you know, and then if you had a hit, you'd quickly have to print up 10,000. So it was a really expensive game to get in, you know, and it required a lot of investment. Now it's released a single push of a button and it's yeah. released. Sense and love will break your fall. Be yourself, mistakes and all. This is no time to get angry. It is high time we got along. Be yourself, mistakes and all. The only difference is when I released the first Jerry Fish album, it was on sale for $21.99 in the shops, and I got seven euro out of that. Mm. Now nobody buys music, so it's a yes, completely it's different, different game. Yes. Well, so having spoken so much about music, let's have a little musical interlude. Let's I'm do sorry. that. What's the first song you're going to do? Uh, I'm hugely inspired by an artist called Daniel Johnson. So I'm going to do a rendition of one of his songs, True Love Will Find You in the End. And the uh, lovely and wonderful Keen Boylan Gorgeous is going to accompany you on the ivories. Just who's your friend Don't be sad I know you will But don't give up until True love will find you In the end This a promise with a catch Only if you're looking can it find you For true love is searching too But how can it recognize you unless you step out into the light, the light Don't be sad, I know you will But don't give up until True love will find you in the end
gorgeous, Jerry. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and beautiful accompaniment there by the You're lovely Wonderful, Keen. gorgeous um, man. So, Jerry, before the song, we were talking about your um, time sort of in the big jaw of the record industry yes. and all of that and the highs and lows of that. Your life now is is very different. Um, you're you're in the countryside. I am. You're um you're a South London boy, Dublin boy, now living in, in Carlo. Is it? I live where the last wolf in Ireland was killed. I'm there to kind of keep her company. <laughs> um, and with your lovely wife Nikki and Nikki. Four, four kids, four children. So, so yes. your husband and daddy in the countryside. I imagine. Yes. That that isn't ex- at, at back at the time when you were in the jaws of the record industry. That isn't how you saw it panning out, is it? You know, I don't know if I've ever had a plan. You mm. know, I kind of like just kind of, I guess, just like tumbleweed, just kind of went through it. I, all I wanted was adventure. That's the only thing I wanted from life. I lost a friend when he was twenty, and I just that struck me as you're alive. Mm. He's not. Now every moment is your special moment mm. so i guess i always had the dream like everyone else of living in the country i'm there 16 years it's completely silent it unnerves me all the time i'm like i i i you know i i'm not a relaxed i'm very i'm more relaxed if it's just a hustle bustle of people and you mm. know I, I kind of see myself as a bit of an artful dodger do you know the more yeah. more pockets that around the better you know so so i'm really yeah, the South London. So it doesn't, it, it, it jars with me. I mean, I was there a year and my, my mother-in-law is from Glastonbury and she's originally from West, she knows the country. And she's like, um, uh, do you want to go for a walk, Chair? And I'm like, at night time. <laughs> I didn't really, you know, the, it gets dark in the yes. country. If it gets dark in the city, you are going to be mugged. You know what yeah. I mean? So it just, the whole thing was very difficult especially for the first years and still i'm not completely relaxed but i know it's good for me yeah. it's good for me to just breathe jerry and i mm. don't think i could have imagined and created a circus as big as the jerry fish electric yeah. sideshow if i was in a apartment mm. in dublin so i really i live in a shangri-la i live i live in a very really beautiful place and but so it, you sort of burned out in a way with the music industry and you kind of you know, left music behind for for a while, a little while. I, I just I did almost seven years. Yeah, well, I got into motorcycles and I got into vintage and classic motorcycles and yeah. had an adventure there. You know. And then, am I right in thinking that, in some ways, it was the birth of your first daughter, your first child, that sort of reintroduced you in a way to your love of music or something? Everything collapsed. Um, in my life, the band, um, we lost our record deal. We ended up in court with a record label for ages. Um, and then I divorced. Um, so it was a pretty low place. And then I met Nikki and it just kind of, I did, you know, as a friend of mine said to me, uh, you know, you don't think you're worthy. You know what I mean? And I had to kind of feel worthy of this beautiful woman. I've always wanted children. So we had a child together and, and I remember Ella in my arms. This It sounds very corny, but I really didn't want, I'll do anything to survive. I'm a survivor, but I didn't want to be coming back from a building site or something and saying to my little girl, you know, you know, I used to be in a rock band. Yeah. I used to play to tens of thousands of people. <laughs> I didn't want that regret. So 
Nikki got behind me and I just got stuck into this Jerry Fish and the Mudbug Club idea. Because, because music business, business had changed so much. I was so armed with experience that I was advising people, you know, you don't need a label, you just do mm. an independent record. And, and they were going off and becoming hugely successful while I was painting houses or doing yeah. whatever I could for a living. And uh, I thought, it's time for you to take your own. Um, and it was a real gulp, you know, it was a real invested everything I had in a record. And, uh, Which is so much harder when you have a kid to, and you to worry it's about. It's weird, you know, because it's like, I would have thought, if you said, how would you react to having a child? I thought, well, get a day job, you know what I mean? Get your shit together, you know? Mm. Whereas I did the opposite. I kind of went, I have to f do what I love doing to be a, a good father, mm. you know, to kind of for, for my daughter to look at me and say, you know, yeah, I love this guy. But, you know, whatever. I just I just had to be true to myself, you know. Yeah. And especially if you're going to be teaching that to your kids. So they, you do what you love. And exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I just I didn't want to be this jaded guy come from a job that I hated, you know. So, you know, they say fortune favors the brave. It, it kind of worked out and I'm back yeah. in, you know. So talk to me then about where did the idea for the Jellyfish in the Mud Bug Club thing come That's from? That's why I dropped that name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mouthful. But you like, so where did the inspiration or whatever come from for this sort of the new version of you? I remember the album being reviewed and and it, the first album, Be Yourself, and it was like, never has a record booked the zeitgeist with so much enthusiasm, <laughs> you know. A room and I just made music again with music. I, I, I like to switch genres. I don't, I don't like anything to be mono. I yeah. think it should be, you know, do one thing. I love rock music. The Mudbug Club was this. I thought I'm going to give them something to remember. We had like a four or five piece brass section playing in a bar in Ennis, you know. And I used to buy all this tinsel and dress, you know, dress the whole pub in tinsel. So. Anyone that paid their tenor, they, yeah. they went home going, shit, that was a 50 quid show. Well, you are a real born showman. I mean, you're you're a carny guy. You're, I am you're, a carny yeah. guy. I, well, you know, people ask me as well, where did you get your music? My father's a great singer. He was a great crooner. And we grew up with a lot of crooner music. Um, and my mother never heard her sing, but she's a total drama queen. You know, everything's <laughs> neurosis. So definitely got the theatrics from, I, I definitely feel when I'm on stage, I'm like me ma, you know. Mm. I, I was thinking about it the other day as well. It's very important, no matter who you meet, that you you make them feel better about their day. You, mm. They smile, or and you get a laugh as well. To me, that's that that's entertainment, and the streets are full of them, you know. So, yeah. so I guess it's a craft with Kean touring and being just 
me bare naked on, on stage, I've learned what I do best. Yeah. And that's be a nervous wreck and just be myself, you know, and let people realize, oh, it's, it, you know, it's anything. I spend most of the time in with the audience, so I don't know how I'm going to come back. You know, you all, I mean, you described yourself there as being bare naked on stage and then you meant that metaphorically, but you have also have. Uh, been, been, been um, literally bare naked. I completely actually had forgotten about that. It's amazing the research we do for this <laughs> yeah, show. I, I had, I'd written a song called, again, I had this um, way back in the 90s, you know, I was kind of armed with these facts about feminism, really. This is called If God Was a Girl. As a child, I always thought, well, that's not fair. That's not fair with my mom. You know how my my mom wasn't educated and mm. ended up in a sewing factory. And I'm like, it was just it was nothing was fair. And then I was armed with the fact that at the turn of the last century, the 20th century, it was said if a woman was educated, it would reduce the size of her ovaries. So there's a hangover from all these old patriarchal bullshit, you know. Mm. So I'd written a song called If God Was a Girl, and. <laughs> So we performed the, the, the song and I just, I don't know, I, I can't remember where it started, but I thought, well, get off, you know, and I just got... <laughs> I'm born on Bastille Day, so it was <laughs> Ma Bastille Day in Marseille, my 30th birthday with you 2 The guys built me a cake and Mockness came on with the big heads and gave me the cake and I got a kit off with just a big bunch of flowers that they'd given me in front of like tens of thousands of people. And the high was just amazing. I have to say the drop from that is a bit much. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I did. I did that for a tour. I, we we got banned in America, I think, for me doing it as well. You know, yeah, from some radio station or whatever. It's you know, it's like, it's just so much bullshit around, you know. Um, so let's hear the second song you're going to do for us. Yes, the second song is a, I guess, a reflection. I remember writing a song about being an artist and basically spending a lot of time up your own ass, basically. You know, I kind of like just constantly thinking about yourself and getting down, you know. So I wrote a song called Where the Sun Don't Shine. <laughs> well, it sounds perfect for this moment. <laughs> and again, the beautiful and lovely Kean is going to be accompanying you. knows who I am Nobody understands The man I am The man I aim to be Nobody follows me But I know I've 
got to let it go I can't spend all my time where the sun don't Thank you so much for being up yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't spend all your time anyway. there. <laughs> no. Um, one of the very interesting things to me, um, and something we sort of have in common, is a great love of the wonderful Mr. Quentin Crisp. Mm. Um, now, people could easily guess that I might uh, have a great grow for Quentin Crisp. Um, where did your grow for Quentin Crisp come from? Well, I can't remember if I saw The Naked Civil Servant on TV with John Hurt or I, or I had the book and I, and I read this book. And it really comes from that. I mean, you know, we talk about our battles. Quentin was glamorous in, yeah. in, in wartime, you know, yeah. and, and Soho, I guess. So I guess it was the London thing as well and, and knowing Soho as a child. And it's a quite a sad book really yeah but it, he he just stuck to his guns and the, just the tenacity of being an individual and you may correct me because i don't know if it was quinton or andy warhol said i i don't want to go to heaven because the lighting's just too bad you know <laughs> you know, and, I you know I, I much prefer uh you know like hell has better lighting so it's kind of uh you know surely there's a gay heaven and i just I just fell in love with Quentin Crisp. Yeah. I, I, you know. Well, he really was spectacular. And I tell you what I do quite regularly now okay. is I go down a little YouTube hole of watching his, his interviews and chat shows. And oh my God, he was the greatest chat show guest ever in the history of chat shows. Like they're all spectacular. I haven't, um, I haven't, I should do that. Oh my God. And you know, it's just after he's moved to New York and. Yeah. Do you play any sports now? You live in America, American football, anything like that? 
Oh no, now I'm happily beyond the point where anyone can expect any activity of me whatsoever. <laughs> you know, every single line out of his mouth is just so but, but, but Quentin, funny and but sharp. But Quinton had memorised all his books, you know. His yeah. shows were like just ex- excerpts from the book. And he, he came to Dublin. Yes, because I want to tell you, you met him. Oh my goodness. I, I, he came to the Gate Theatre. On, on tour and I probably bought the very first ticket so I, I went alone because it's not like I was in a Quinton Crisp club or anything <laughs> I don't think I knew anybody it was just my thing you know yeah. and because the Naked Civil Servant had made Quinton famous he'd written the second book How to Become a Virgin bought the ticket said I'm going right I'm getting my books two paperbacks signed and I, sitting in the front of the gate, it's not like I was a theatre goer, a bit of bit of a kind of walking class ghetto boy, you know. And uh, I, I even remember being uncomfortable in the theatre, just too many posh people around. I don't know. I was I was petrified. So sat in the front row, and Quinton's going through the book, and I I was lip syncing every word because I knew that the it's a well, but in the middle of his set, he sits in a chair and signs mm. autographs. But he paused and I, I just said, Quinton, can I get your autograph? And he was like, eh, yes, you know, come up. <laughs> and I proceeded to lift my foot onto to climb on the stage from where my seat was in the gate. And he said, no, 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 use the stairs. And I, by the time I got to the staircase, I was in a queue of three or four yeah. people. And I'm sure he thought I was actually just going to pull out a knife and <laughs> kill him, you know. Well, he's a man who left his full name and telephone number in the, in the telephone book, even in New York, because he just liked strangers calling him. Well, it was just so, it was, it was a real moment for me, because I, I remember people asked me, were you ever starstruck? And it's probably the only time, because he said, uh, uh, what's your name? I had no idea what my name was. <laughs> I had no idea. So it was just... I just still in love with Quinton Crisp. I just mm. think what a remarkable human being, you know, discovered this yeah. beautiful man, you know. And, you know, basically since the very first theatre show that I wrote, you know, whatever, and all the ones that I've done, I've always thought, well, I just do a Quentin Crisp because he used to do the second half of the show. We just let people ask him questions. But he was so brilliant at res- just responding. Uh, Mr. Crisp, you've been very candid with us this evening and I'd like to ask this one question. Um, have you ever had sex with a woman? No, I haven't. But I do realize that the question is relevant. I now know a lot of homosexuals who popped into bed with women in a spirit of hilarious research. <laughs> I'm also in love with you. Do you know, I'll be, I'll be honest. I mean, I've been around since the first alternative Miss Island. Yes, to me, alternative Miss Island was yeah. the... <laughs> Best night of the calendar in Dublin. And I remember there was one in McGonagall's. I don't know if you were around then. Uh, the, the very first one in 1986 was, actually it was in Sides. Sides, yeah. In Sides, yeah. I mean, why is that gone? That was just the best. Because, you know, um, the Alternatives Ireland had a good run of 18 shows over 21 years or whatever, something mm. like that. Because it was all being done on the on the favor and the ask and the borrow mm. and the bigger it became the more time it took every year and the people who were sort of core involved 
had in the beginning they'd been students or half employed or whatever. Grown By up. the end, you know, these some of them had like really proper jobs mm. or were you know had moved to other places, whatever. It just became such a, a big thing. And then we had this long, years long discussion where we just kill her while people still mm. love her. You know, probably but, a better but, question is why is it not funded and why is it not on TV? We need this because well, we I have to say when we finished it, we thought that some other event would come along with the same spirit. Yeah. And energy. that would take its place because it, basically we gotten too old. It needs young, crazy, of young course, people. Energy. But, they, well, but, I, but something hasn't yet come in that to that space to replace I, I get, it. Even the Jerry Fisher electric sideshow was very much inspired by the mm. alternative Miss Island because there was also a great mix of, uh, I hate the word straight, I prefer groovy, you know, but like <laughs> there was a great gay straight mix and that, yeah. you know, I, I don't like, I don't like borders obviously from yeah. my, because of how I grew up. Uh, you know, I mean, I'd love a campaign to get rid of the border, but if we're going to get rid of the borders, let's get rid of the Cork and Kerry borders <laughs> and the, Cal, you know, like <clears throat> Carlo Wexford. Yeah, it's just, you know, people are obsessed with borders. Yeah. And I just thought the alternative asylum was borderless, you know, well, there was yeah. nobody at the door going, oh, you're not very funky, yeah. you know, it's so it was just a wonderful night. And I do remember you appearing on the scene and being, I'm going to confess now. I remember you being on the scene. I just like, you know, Vader is obviously a friend, yeah, Shirley, yeah. uh, you know, and Mr. Pussy's a dear friend yeah. of mine. And I have to say, now I'm going to, I am going to get this out because I'm such a big fan of just your just intelligence and just wisdom. Do you oh, know, well. even, no, but, but when, when I remember when uh, you appeared on Brendan O'Connor and I'm sitting back on my couch, I'm like, Finally, you know, one of us, you know, and I kind of thought, well, hang on, Jerry, you're not, you know, a drag. It's like you represented what's really going on or something, you know. Well, you, you're well, thank you for that. But you're also you're right about the old terminus Ireland and all the other, the other stuff that, that I've been involved in is, you know, there was always a very conscious um idea or effort behind it that it wasn't about a particular section of the community. It was about um colorizing the, the the rest of the community mm. with with the sparkle and the glitter that this part of the community had to offer so like what i used to say about the alternative Ireland, it may on the surface be what you know th people think of it one thing but to us it was always about expanding the definition of irishness in, in a you know, nutshell, by making it yeah. more well, not even expanding the definition, but opening the doors. Yeah. You know, it's because. Uh, well, I always felt that the definition of Irishness used to be very narrow, and, and you had to be, you know, like an Irish boy had to like, you know, yes. you two and play football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there was like a very narrow range, and and, and we were trying to you know, make that more elastic. Yeah, I guess growing up in South London, I've kind of been. Uh, bolstered from that yeah. Irishness as such. It is about inclusivity, but it's, yeah. we're talking about Quentin Crisp. Now, please don't be offended, darling, but you're not the first drag queen. Do you know no, what I mean? God, they, no. They were yeah. in Egypt, do you know yeah. what I mean? In, in ancient Egyptians. Yeah. It's a very old culture and it's really about just uh, stop hiding. You know, it was yeah. really kind of like, let's stop hiding. Yeah. And we've a long way to go on so, so many more issues, you yeah. know. Uh, so I think... Um, it's like fe festivals. I'm in love with festivals. I fell in love with the Glastonbury Festival. But well, festivals have the same atmosphere 
that things like the alternative return was Ironhead. Borders break down in the field and, and people become much more relaxed with other people who aren't necessarily exactly the same as them. And it has it, a... It, it, well, I, I was for, for ages called it the last, the last bastion of community. Yes. And community is really about caring for everybody, caring for each other. Mm. And I think just that Glastonbury in particular, I don't think anything is better than Glastonbury. It is still the mothership. Um, what a lot of people don't realise is it's it's a charity gig. It goes to Greenpeace and WaterAid yeah. and it's about saving the planet and everybody's there. All ages are there. It's just a wonderful collective of, of people. Mm. I think it, I think ageism is another thing we have to watch. So I think it's it, being inclusive is, is wonderful. Yeah. So and, and you and you have become synonymous with Ireland's, you know, um, Glastonbury in a way, Electric Picnic, with, with your own stage there. And you sort of create this whole circus carnival music atmosphere at this stage. And that has, I assume, played a huge part in your life over the last X yes. number of years. And of course, then last year it didn't happen because mm. of the COVID thing. And this year, fingers crossed. So has that been a, you know, has that left a hole in your life and you can't wait to get back to? Or I, I again, it's like I try and spend as much time as I can in, in now. Do you know, am I, I, I'm okay. My children are okay, my friends. So I don't really kind of uh, go, it's not fair. Do you know? Yeah. I, but you can miss it. I guess it's a two-headed kind of, dragon if you like it's like my wife has and i have had a, such a wonderful time being together because i'm not stressed to the nines mm. you know so that's been really nice the year off i mean glastonbury they they, they have a fallow year yeah. you need a break from these things yeah they're full on i was set to build fish town which i'm massively <laughs> excited about because i have a a, a huge tent, uh, an area in Electric Picnic, but they were about to give me another one and I was going to put four more stages in. Well, no, sorry, I am going to put four more stages in, um, a cafe, a bar and a cinema. I really want uh, a place where everyone feels... And we're actually now, it's, it, you know, everything's going to be crazy. Uh, we were going to have, like, rules of behaviour, you know what I mean? I don't want litter where yeah. I live, you know what I mean? You yeah. can just fuck off, please. We even, we even uh, wanted to have uh, the Pony Girls police force. So we're going to have our own police force and town. So the town excites me because yeah. I'm a massive fan of uh, and inspired by places like the Unfair Ground in Glastonbury and Shangri-La and just that whole alternative experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, it thrills me. Vader puts together the drag show yeah. for me. And it's the one thing I won't miss in my tent, you know, <laughs> because it just thrills me. The exposure of people who have never been to a drag yes. show and they're, you know, or, and, you know, we have, you know, and it gets a little seedy. We have we have strippers and all yeah. sorts of things. And seeing a farmer watch a stripper for the first time yeah. is such a delight. <laughs> so I, I just get um, I get a thrill out of and everybody, everybody's safe. I don't have. A laminates to come in backstage yeah. in my place. We've had the Sultans of Ping, we, yeah. we've had Ash. I remember the somebody saying to you, you know, Ash are too big for your stage, Jerry. And I'm like, well, get me a bigger stage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, of course I miss it. I've built a little theatre in my, I'm lucky I live in the country, I have a big barn. I have building skills. 
Um, so over the winter, I knew I had to be occupied. I didn't really want to think about the music business or coming back. Or So I built a small theatre at home. I can't really do the kind of virtual thing. I prefer well, to do a real yes. thing. I hate the virtual thing too. But I'd like to film a real thing as well. I think a lot of this virtual stuff is so staged. Yeah. I, I, the best fun at any festival is when your mates are all sitting around yeah. kind of talking. Yeah. So I'd love to kind of maybe do something like that. Have you done anything in your home theatre yet? No, nothing. Yeah. Well, I watched Glastonbury. I put a screen up and I watched <laughs> Glastonbury this year with a couple of friends. So that we did have fun, but not yeah. as much fun as going to Glastonbury. And, you know, it's like, yeah, of course, well, there's a massive hole in my life. <laughs> well, fingers crossed you get to go back to Electric Picnic this year. We will um, go back. Yeah, you know, for sure. I, I, I think so. Please. Yes, please, God. Anyway, Jerry Fish or Gerald Whelan, as your mother probably still called you. Thank you so much. Thank you it's so, been an absolute, so much. Uh, a pleasure. I've had a whale of a time. Excellent, yes, yeah, yes. Keep swimming on, Jerry. <laughs> <I will>. uh, <laughs> Any more? Anyway, I, I honestly hope you get to um, tear it up again at Electric Picnic this year, and I look forward to many more years of nonsense with you. Oh, there'll be lots of nonsense. <laughs> Thank you so much, and thanks to Keen Boylan for coming in and, uh, yes. and playing with you again today. So. Thank you so Thank much. You. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Hope I didn't wrap it on too much. No, 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 God, that was a good, nice, easy chat. Mm-hmm.